The Inform Fitness Podcast with Adam Zickerman is a presentation of Inform Fitness Studios, specializing in safe, efficient, personal high-intensity strength training. In each episode, Adam discusses the latest findings in the areas of exercise, nutrition, and recovery, the three pillars of his New York Times best-selling book, The Power of Ten. He aims to debunk the popular misconceptions and urban myths that are so prevalent in the fields of health and fitness. And with the opinions of leading experts and scientists, you'll hear scientific-based, up-to-the-minute information on a variety of subjects. We cover the exercise protocols and techniques of Adam's 20-minute, once-a-week workout, as well as sleep, recovery, nutrition, the role of genetics in the response to exercise, and much more. Hello, everyone. Adam here. Welcome back to the Informed Fitness Podcast Rewind. It's our listen back to classic interviews with high-intensity gurus, master trainers, authors, and scientists. This is part three of four with author and weightlifter and personal trainer, Bill D. Simone. In this episode, I thought I would get Bill's opinion on the old debate on whether machines or free weights are better. But before we got into that, I asked Bill what exactly is functional training today? A lot of people feel and argue that machines are great if you want to just do really high intensity, get really deep and go to failure. But if you want to really learn how to use your body in space, then, then free weights and body weight movements need to be incorporated. And both are important. Uh, going to failure with, say, machines in a safe manner that might be cammed properly. But that in and of itself is not enough. That a lot of people feel for full fitness or conditioning, if you will, uh, you need to use free weights or body weight movements. And so, do, so do you have an opinion about whether uh, one's better than the other? They both serve different purposes, and they're both important. Or if you just use either one of them correctly, uh, you're good. Well, I mean, let's talk about the uh, the idea that free weights are more functional than machines. I personally think it's what you do with your body that makes it functional or not. And by functional, I'm, uh, that's... Um, yeah, let's I'm, talk about I'm, that. I'm let's half, talk about functional I'm, training. I'm half mocking that phrase. All right, so what, um, all right, so let's, before we even go into the question I just asked, right. maybe we can talk about uh, this idea of... Because people are throwing around the expression functional training nowadays. So CrossFit is apparently functional training. So what exactly was functional training. Well, see, I don't know what, what they're what talking has, about. What has it become? <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what they're talking about. Because right, so frankly, if I got to move a tire from point A to point B, I'm rolling it. I'm not flipping it. <laughs> All right? So I don't... Yeah, I don't yeah. Yeah. That would be more functional, wouldn't it? You would think. <laughs> um, if I have a child or a bag of groceries I have to lift, I'm not going to lift the kettlebell or a dumbbell awkwardly to prepare for that awkward lift. In other words, I would rather tra- train my muscles safely, and then if I have to do something awkward, hopefully I'm strong enough to get through it, to withstand right. it. Right. My thought was, like when I started in 1982 or so, 84, 83, somewhere in the early 80s I started as a trainer. So old. Most of us at the time were very influenced by the muscle magazines. It was either the muscle magazines or the Nautilus One Set to Failure type training. But the people we were training in the early 80s, especially in Manhattan, they weren't bodybuilders and they weren't, they weren't necessarily athletes. So to train business people and celebrities and actors, et cetera, like you would train an athlete seemed like a bad idea. Plus, you know, how many times did I hear, oh, I don't want to get big 
or, you know, I'm not going out for the Olympics. Okay, fine. If someone has a hunched over shoulder or whatever, now you're tailoring the training to what the person is in front of you, right? To, to what's relevant to their life. You know, if 20-inch arms didn't fascinate them, why are you training them to get 20-inch arms, right? Maybe, a, maybe a, a trimmer waist was more their priority. So to my eye, functional training and personal training back in the 80s was synonymous. Somewhere through, since the 80s, functional training turned into this anti-machine approach. And, you know, functional training for sport was a book written by a guy named Mike Boyle. His, his main point in there is, and I'm paraphrasing, so if I get it wrong, don't blame we'll him. Forgive you. Don't blame him. But his point was, as an athlete, you don't necessarily need to bench heavy or squat heavy or deadlift heavy, although it might be helpful. But you do need the muscles that hold your joints together to be in better shape. So all of his exercises were designed around rotator cuff, around the muscles around the spine, muscles around the hips, muscles around the ankles. Mm -hmm. So in his eye, it was functional for sport. He was training people, doing exercises, so that they would hold their posture together so that that wouldn't cause a problem on the field. You know, that, that material was pretty good. Went a little overboard, I think, in some ways, but generally it was pretty good. But then it got kind of bastardized as it got caught into the commercial fitness industry, and it just became an excuse for sequencing like a, a lunge with a curl, with a row, with a push-up, to another lunge, to a squat. It just became sort of a random collection of movements justified as being functional. Functional for what? Right? At least Boyle said it was functional for sport. His point was to cut injuries down in sport. Where's the function in stringing together, again, a curl to a press, to a push-up, to a squat, back to the curl, like one rep of each? Those are more like stunts or feats of strength than they are, yeah. to me, exercise. I agree. So, you know, when you talk about the muscles around the spine or the rotator cuffs, you know, uh, they're, they're commonly known as uh, stabilizer muscles. Yes. And when we talk about free weights versus machines, a lot of times I'll say something like, uh, well, if you want to work your stabilizer muscles, you need to use free weights because right. that's how you work the stabilizer right. muscles. Um, what, what would you say to that? And I would say is if they're stabilizing while they're using the free weights, then they're using the stabilizing muscles, right? And if they're stabilizing while you're using a machine? They're using the stabilizer muscles. So could muscles. you work out those stabilizer muscles of the shoulder on a, on a, on a machine chest yes. press the same way you yes. can use uh, strength and the stabilizer muscles of the shoulder right. on it, a free weight bench press? It's what your body is doing that counts, not, not the tool. Skill is very specific. So if you want a barbell bench press, you have to barbell bench press. Is there an advantage to your sta stabilizer muscles to do it uh, with a free weight bench press as opposed to a... I don't see it. Machine. I don't see press. it other than to help the ability to free weight bench press. But if that's not why the person's training, if the person is just training for Strength the health the... benefits of exercise, right. to use it broadly, I don't think it matters if you stabilize, if you're on a machine chest press and you're keeping your sh shoulder blades down and back and you're not, buckle you're not buckling your elbows and you're, you're tightening, you're, you're, you're voluntarily controlling the range of motion. I don't see how that stabilization is different than if you're on a barbell bench press. And you have to stabilize the same way. the same way. <laughs> and that's if you're doing because that. Because you're balancing, because you, you know, you both arms have to work independently in a way. And you're but that balancing. Is, see, to me, that just makes it risky. That doesn't add. Now, getting back to your general question about whether free weights lend itself to mm -hmm. stabilizing the core better or not. Mm. If that's what the person is doing on the exercise, then it is. So if the person's doing the push-up and is very tight, yes, he's, he's exercising his core. If the person's doing the push-up and it's sloppy, 
One shoulder's rising up, one elbow's to the side. So it doesn't matter elbow. that it's a push-up. He's still not doing it right. He's still not, doing still it not right. working his core. That's right. <laughs> so it's really what the person's using their body. How they're using the body d- determines whether they're um, training their core appropriately, not the, the source of the resistance. And I'm sorry. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I've done compound rows with, with free weights in, in, in all kinds of ways over the years. And uh, now I'm doing compound row with a, with a retrofitted Medex machine with a, with a cam that really is represent pretty, pretty good uh, uh, cam design. And I challenge anyone to think that they're not working everything they need to work on that machine because you got to keep your shoulders, still got to keep your shoulders down. You got still got to keep your chest up. You still have to, right. you know, not, not hunch over your shoulders when you're lowering the weight. I mean, there's a lot of things you got to do right on, on a compound That's right. machine. That's right. Just like when you're using free weights. And I, I don't, Personally, I've never really noticed much of a benefit. And how would you measure that benefit anyway? Like, how would you be able to prove that free weights is helping in uh, in one way where a machine's not? How do you actually prove something like that? You know, I, I, uh, a lot of a lot of claims in exercise, a lot of the chain of of thought goes like this: you make the claim, the result, and there's this big black box in the middle. You know, there's no explanation of of why doing this leads to this. Sure. See, I was going to say, you know, get, getting to like CrossFit and boot camp type things and uh, even following along a DVD program, whatever brand name you choose. The problem I have with that from a joint-friendly perspective is you have too many moving parts for you to be managing your posture and taking care of your joints. So if, especially if you're trying to keep up with the kettlebell class, I mean, I imagine it's possible that you can do certain kettlebell exercises and protect your lower back and protect your shoulders. It's possible, but what the user has to decide is how likely is it. I know for me personally, I can be as meticulous as I want with a kettlebell or with a barbell deadlift, and at some point, I'm going to hurt myself. Not from being overambitious, not from sloppy form. Something's going to go wrong. Somebody else might look at those two exercises and say, no, I'm very confident I can get this. So you pay your money, you take your chance. There's a Nautilus tricep machine that I used to use. It was like kind of like the a... one you, up here? Yeah, and you do yeah. a karate chop, right? And you're, Pressure and you're, on and the your elbows, And your elbows are stabilized yeah. on the pad. And I'd karate chop down with an old Nautilus machine. And, and uh, I got these sharp pains on my elbows. No one else that I trained on that machine ever had that sharp pain in their elbows, but it bothered the hell out of my elbows. Yeah. So I would do uh, other tricep extensions with ever, ever a problem. Uh, does it make that a bad exercise? Well, for me, but, but, but it if did. You, for you it did, but if you notice, certain machine designs have disappeared. Mm-hmm. There's when a re- we're talking about There's it. a reason why those, those machine designs disappeared. Yeah. So there's a reason why um, I think in, in the nitro line, this is an older, this is I, I know the machine you're talking about. They used to call it like a multi-tricep, right? I think so. Okay. And it held your upper, your upper arms were held basically parallel. And you had to kind of karate chop the handles right. down. So and it, wasn't your account, were, it wasn't accounting for the carrying angle. Your elbows weren't, your elbows, <laughs> but your elbows were slightly above your shoulders. And you had, to, you had to move your elbows in a parallel. Later designs, they moved it out here. They gave them independent axes. Right. That's not an accident. Right? right, I mean, a certain amount of ligament binding happens, and then, right, like, obviously lig- my lig- ligaments lig- were just lig- not coping with that very well. That's right, and that, and and how much? So, for instance, exactly what joint angle your ligaments bind at is individual, but if you're going in this in this direction, there is a point where the shoulder ligaments bind, and you have to do this. Well, that machine forced us in the bound position. Yeah. So 
when movement has to happen, it can't happen at the shoulder because you're pinned in the seat. It was happening in your elbow. Might not be the same with everybody, sure but that is how the model, yeah. how the model works. Okay, that was part three of Bill T. Simone's interview on the Inform Fitness Podcast Rewind. Coming up in part four, we will fly through topics like posture, mobility, what feel is an exercise, and we will look back at past trends in training and compare them to current trends today. This has been the Inform Fitness Podcast with Adam Zickerman. For over 20 years, Inform Fitness has been providing clients of all ages with customized personal training designed to build strength fast. And now Adam and his staff would be delighted to train you virtually. Just visit informfitness.com for testimonials, blogs, and videos on the three pillars, exercise, nutrition, and recovery.